Hey y'all, what if you really could change your life? If there was a way to be healthy and intentional in every area of your life? Good news, there is. And we show you how each week on All of You Whole. Hosted by me, Caroline Fossil, entrepreneur, wellness expert, author, and speaker. Every episode is an in-depth look at how to help you get unstuck, be brave in your life choices, and have a meaningful life all either from my own experiences or from the experts I interview. My goal is to help you build a healthy, connected, and intentional life that fulfills your greatest purpose. Today on the podcast, I'm so honored to welcome Kate Stritzinger, who is the Director of Marketing and External Relations for Fair Trade America. This is such an important conversation to have about fair trade products as we start to think about where are the products that we're buying coming from and also who is making them and who is farming them, especially for products like bananas and coffee and chocolate. Unfortunately, the people farming those products could be be exploited children or women or slaves who aren't even getting paid. So it's really, really, really important to purchase fair trade whenever you can. This is such an important conversation, and I'm so excited for you to hear it. If you want to start prioritizing buying fair trade products, please be sure to visit fairtradeamerica.org and you can shop all different kinds of products there. And then also just look out for the fair trade. America logo on products. It's the fair trade logo with the person raising their hand that's green and blue. So once you know it, you will see it everywhere. So without further ado, let's dive in and chat with Kate. Welcome to the show, Kate. I am so excited to have you here for this very important conversation. Yes, I'm so excited to be here too, Caroline. Yeah. So first of all, can you just briefly introduce yourself and share a little bit about your work with Fair Trade America? Absolutely. So my name is Kate Stritzinger. I'm the Director of Marketing and External Relations at Fairtrade. So I lead the marketing team here. And we are the U.S. branch of Fairtrade International. So that mark that you see with a person raising their arm that you see on like a Ben and Jerry's pint of ice cream or maybe divine chocolate, that's us. Um, So we're the people behind that movement in the United States. And we work with folks all over the world. We work with nearly 2 million farmers and workers throughout the world on things like coffee, cocoa, and bananas, and all working to make sure that farmers get a fairer deal for the products that they work really hard to produce. Yeah, that's so amazing. So since we're talking about the fair trade program, you know, I first want to talk about these working conditions for farmers who are outside of this program, right? So maybe people who aren't given a fair wage. So according to the World Bank, just $2 a day is what many smallholder farmers around the world live on. So I want to like, can you paint us a picture of what those farming conditions are like and what those farmers have to go through? Absolutely. So when you're talking about smallholder farmers, just because not everyone might know what that means, Mm -hmm. smallholder farmers are typically working on a small tract of land, maybe less than five acres. So they're really, it's a family owned business. Typically they are entrepreneurs oftentimes, and they're working in this pretty risky industry, right? People often get paid maybe once or twice a year. So you have to really budget well. You only get paid around harvest season. You are often at the whim of whatever's happening with the environment. And on top of that, folks 
like you said, are not making the price that they should for these commodities. So the commodity prices are not set by the farmers. They're set on Wall Street. So there's a total disconnect between what the realities are on the ground. Sometimes those prices don't match the cost of production. So it's basically like if you're owning your own business and you're not getting paid the amount that you need to get paid, your budget's all out of whack, right? right. So your personal budget, because you're it's your own business, your, mm-hmm. your finances personally and business-wise all get thrown off. That makes it really challenging for farmers to be able to afford basics. Like that might affect their ability to have food or shelter or to pay for education The farmers Mm. that we work with are not in the United States. We work with farmers in Latin America, the Caribbean, Sub-Saharan Africa, the Middle East, kind of everywhere outside of the U.S. is where we're working. So those places typically don't have the same kinds of stability or structures that we have here. So a community might have to build their own schools rather than it necessarily being provided by the state. So it really affects every part of one's life and their family's lives if they're not getting a fair deal. I guess as an example... Cocoa farmers in West Africa specifically are making less than a dollar a day. So it's like 78 cents to a dollar, which makes it really difficult to work on. That's way below the international poverty line, which is 215. And knowing that, like this was already happening before COVID. It was happening before inflation and the prices haven't really changed. So they're experiencing the same things that we are with inflation, with supply chain challenges, like the price of gas is one of the biggest inputs in farming. So all of these things make it really difficult and really unstable for farmers to be able to survive in this industry. Yeah. And I mean, like you were saying, like if a hurricane comes through and rips out all their crops, they weren't paid to buy the supplies. And so they're just completely SOL, even though that has nothing to do with them. So you just mentioned the international poverty rate being $2.15 a day, but what would an actual living wage for farmers be around the world? And I'm sure it varies from place to place, but is there kind of like a standard? Uh, There's not. Yeah, (laughs) That would make it a lot easier if there was. We as Fair Trade work with different partners to set a living income reference price. So that makes it so businesses know how much it would cost to be able to pay what it would cost, like for the business inputs to be at a living income. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about living incomes, you're talking about things like that has to cover the cost of housing, food, and other basic needs like water, education, healthcare, transit, and other essentials. So that's really unique to each country and each region, even like different commodities have different pricing around this because they're all pretty different. So as an example, the living income prices, like, so we're talking about, we're talking about cocoa before, right? The fact that it's a dollar a day. In Ghana, as an example, it's 216 per person per day. And then in Cote d'Ivoire, it's 249. Mm. So I'd have to double check what the international poverty rate, if that's relating to one person or if it's multiple people in the household. But even if you're thinking like 78 cents versus 216 or 249 versus one, that's double. That's like having half of what you need to be able to make it. Totally. So there are lots of marginalized people farming across the world. So I would love for you to talk to us about the breakdown of gender. So men versus women in the farming industry. Sure. 
So I was doing a little digging, a little research to see, because there are lots of different research studies out there about this mm. kind of stuff. Uh, and one one stat I found is that on average, 43% of the agricultural labor force in developing countries are women. Right. So it's a big number. It's not like when you think about farming, you don't necessarily think about women, but they are like behind all of this work. Some would say even like more than that is probably possible based on the fact that it's very difficult to pin down this number because you're talking about like very rural communities that might not be accessible by researchers. Yeah, it's a huge number and women are often left out of the benefits of farming, which is the biggest thing to keep in mind. Women are often... In the countries where we work, they're not necessarily able to own land or to Hmm. get credit. Um, There's a lot of discrimination in farming in the workforce. So there's a lot of extra challenges that women experience in this particular environment, which is why fair trade focuses is like gender equality is part of our focus. And we do a lot of additional work to support both making sure that workforce discrimination, like those things are prohibited, but also making sure that women get to be part of leadership get to own their own land, get to do all these things that are super important for like their autonomy um, and the stability and growth of different communities. So what would like, when I saw these stats about how many women are farming, I was blown away. I mean, I just had this traditional view of it's all these men out there doing all this farming. What entices a woman to get into farming? Is it necessity? Mm-hmm. Is it the only option? Is it like, if it's so terrible, what's the motivation? Sure. I think I can't really, I've never asked this question. So I can't really speak for all the different farmers that I've never interacted with, but I would say a lot of these farms are family farms. So it's like a family mm-hmm. affair. The whole right. family goes out to the field and does the like farming together. We just did a few interviews with some farmers who had to do it out of necessity. Say their husband maybe passed away or had an injury and then they had to take over the family farm. I think some people do it because they enjoy it. <laughs> I've also totally. heard that from farmers as well. So I think there's a big, broad range of reasons that like any industry, why people work in mm-hmm. those. But I think like the root of it is really that a lot of these farms, these smallholder farms, especially are family owned and operated. So everybody's farming. <laughs> Exactly. This, is, this is what we're doing. So yeah. uh, what yeah. you've mentioned some of the crops. So you said bananas and cocoa and coffee. So what are some of the other most negatively impacted crops when it comes to working conditions? So like which goods that we're buying have the worst working conditions? Mm. I mean, I'm really focused on like the ones that fair trade touches specifically I would say those are the top three, but also things like sugar, right. flowers, avocados. I would say those are some of the biggest cotton as well. When you're thinking about any of these, keep in mind, like farming doesn't always look like farming does in the United States. It's not mm-hmm. tractors with billows of corn coming out of the top. It's people physically harvesting and picking individual cherries off of a branch or coffee cherries off of a branch, or chopping down a cocoa pod at the right angle at the right time when it's ready to be harvested. So it's a lot more physical in nature because it is typically more manual than what we always perceive as farming here. Yeah, that makes sense. So how does Fairtrade America decide which products to focus on? Great question. So it goes in both ways, right? So if consumers start demanding these things, if they say want cashews, 
then there the Fair Trade International can certify like 300 different products. Oh, okay. um, the list is like way longer than what I mentioned. These are just really the common ones in the United States. Right. So if a brand can tap into those different product categories, I would say the part of its supply as well. So the largest groups of farmers that are fair trade certified are in that like coffee, cocoa, and banana category. Mm-hmm. We have seen like an upsurgence in other categories as well, which has been super exciting. Does that answer your question? Yeah, totally. <laughs> so there are a lot of other things that can be fair trade certified, Yeah, but you focus on the ones that have the most demand. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's like having both supply and demand. Because it is a lengthy process for producers to get certified. Oh, I bet. Yeah, totally. So speaking of that, you know, I'd love to talk about the benefits of the Fair Trade America program. And one thing that we kind of touched on already, but is climate change. So climate change negatively affects a lot of these small scale farmers. And the unfortunate part of that is A lot of these people are living in tiny, small agricultural towns. They're probably, their carbon footprint is probably minuscule compared to what Americans is. So they're not, they're not causing climate change most likely, but unfortunately they're receiving a lot of the negative effects of climate change. So can you tell us a little bit about how fair trade also helps combat climate change? Absolutely. I mean, at the core, fair trade is about stability for farmers. Mm-hmm. So it's about like financial stability, social stability, all of those things. So at the core, it's making it so that farmers are coming from a place of stability mm-hmm. rather than having like their finances be super out of whack before they also have another, have some sort of like natural disaster that happens. So that's kind of the baseline of fair trade always on happening. The part of fair trade includes a fair trade premium based on the amount that the farmer sells, they get the producer organization. So like the organization that the cooperative where all of these smallholder farmers are part of, they get to use that premium however they see fit. So they vote democratically on how to use that. They might use it to create a new nursery or buy shade trees or things like that. They get to choose and many do choose to invest in climate mitigation or adaptation efforts. In addition to that, we have environmental standards that are about 25% of fair trade. So that includes not using harmful pesticides or genetically modified seeds. All of those things kind of fit into to our always-on standards. And then something people don't often know about is we have producer networks. So we have mm-hmm. offices in different parts of the world with experts that are local, speak the local language, all that kind of stuff, who work with the different communities to support them. And that kind of manifests in different ways locally. So that might be getting clean cook stoves for coffee farmers in Ethiopia Mm -hmm. or a program that I think is really neat is the Climate Academy that started in East Africa where they were working with farmers. So it was like getting all of this collective knowledge into one place, training farmers on what climate change is, what it isn't, (laughs) and, and how to adapt to it. So like from that they created a resource that's now actually on YouTube. If folks want to be able to access it, you can see it in a bunch of different languages. They put that online and they also like hand delivered it to different communities who might not 
um, maybe read or speak English in different languages so they could project it on the wall and still be able to absorb that information and That's learn about cool. you know, shade trees or mm-hmm. different ways of like heating one's house or things like mm-hmm. that. You said that some that the farmers can use some of their fair trade premium to pay for some like climate change mitigation. What kinds mm-hmm. of things would that involve? Mm, I think it really varies from place to place. So I've seen I've seen impact stories that include using solar panels instead, mm-hmm. because a lot of times people are using like fires and using wood, like wood as a resource to, to wow. their homes or feed their families. Right. Um, so that would be one. The shade trees and having better permaculture, mm-hmm. having different kinds of trees that are mutually beneficial in the ecosystem. Yeah, that's huge. Being used, even things like water management, Mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff. It all fits into this into this ecosystem. We actually we featured a farmer, Johnny, two years ago or last year, and he actually got a degree in aquaculture. And he's so part of Johnny. Yeah, I know. Being able to like learn how to do that, I think his cooperative actually supported him in going to get that degree, and then using that on his farm. Oh, that's so amazing. That's so great. So we've talked a lot about all the different things fair trade does, but I want to know like very succinctly when someone sees the fair trade America certification on a product, like what does that actually mean for the farmers themselves? So like clearly they're getting paid a higher premium, but what else does it mean for that farmer? Hmm. It means that... They, I mean, the product itself was produced following our standards. So those fit into economic, social, and environmental, like into those three buckets. On the economic side, that's like where the fairness comes in, right? Mm -hmm. That's the pricing. We have a minimum price that we set. If the market's fluctuating, we set a minimum price so that the farmer is guaranteed to get that price. It's kind of safe that if if the price drops, they get that, they get the premium on top. That's a big part of it. On the social side, it's about protecting workers' rights, their ability to organize, if it's like a hired labor situation or if mm-hmm. it's if it's small producers, that ability to have a cooperative. We think that collective bargaining and that collective work makes a big difference. They are able to have more power in that way as well. And then on the environmental side, we kind of talked about that piece already. But I would say what it means for farmers is that, or what it means behind that product is it's made following our standards. It's also audited. So right, that's we, huge. Uh, we have third-party verification all along the supply chain. So we don't just slap labels on things. They are, mm-hmm. they are marked throughout the process. Another big part of what we do is including producers in the process. So they are involved in our system throughout from the highest levels of governance through the standard setting process and throughout. So that's not always the case. And so they have a voice. They have a seat at the table. And that the money is being reinvested into the system. So a certain mm-hmm. percentage of anything with the mark goes back into the system. So that helps to pay for these producer networks or these other, the research that we do or all those other supports that's on top of the premium and right. price that's like creating this ecosystem around them. So by every like bar of chocolate that you buy that's certified contributes into this mm-hmm. bigger thing. Yeah, which is what I love too. I mean, I talk a lot on the podcast of like the true cost of something. And so, you know, when you are at the grocery store and you see maybe a Hershey's bar that is like 
I don't know. I haven't bought a horseshoe's bar in a long time. Let's call it $2. And then you see like an endangered species bar that's fair trade America certified and it's organic and all of these things. And that bar might be $7.99, right? What I think about is like that is the true cost of the bar of a bar of chocolate when there's not child labor that's unpaid, when there's not unfortunately slaves or women working for no pay or or lower than the cost of living and you're working to mitigate climate change and you're also benefiting the community and all these things like that is how business should be run right or at least i think and so mm-hmm. when you look at the difference in price it's really saying I'm investing in these people who are working hard to give me this delicious chocolate or bananas or whatever, or coffee. And also I'm investing in that person, but also I'm investing in this world that we hope to continue to live on, right? So I think that it can feel like sticker shock, but I appreciate certification programs that help me prioritize my dollars, right? Like investing back into these communities. So I love knowing what's actually going behind it. So as consumers, what are some things we can do to positively impact these farmers, maybe in addition to buying fair trade products? Mm, I love that question. I think asking questions and being curious is a good place to start. So Mm. the things that we use every day from like the cotton sheets that we sleep on to the banana that we might eat or the coffee we might drink, like all of those things come from somewhere. And once you start asking, you'll start like understanding more of the stuff that's going on. So like start there. Totally. Um, Like don't beat yourself up about it because this is, these systems are like way bigger than any of us. Right. As a start. Right. Um, Yeah. And then it's, like assessing like what your pers- your spheres of influence are, right? So mm. you can start with your yourself, personal sphere, like choosing to buy fair trade is one way, but also talking about it and talking, mm-hmm. sharing what you're learning with the people around you, being mindful of, of not, not just fair trade, so all the challenges that exist in the world right. um, on that personal level, then thinking professionally. You, you might work in an industry like the chocolate industry or the coffee industry and asking where your coffee is coming from. Or even if you work in an office, asking where you're sourcing your stuff from, like that is a powerful way to create change or talking with your coworkers about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then politically, like you can vote. Yeah. (laughs) So important. Prioritizes people and planet. You can like right now, COP27 is happening and there are really important measures and commitments that governments have already made. They've already promised $100 billion for climate finance for communities around the world, but they haven't paid up. So that that needs to happen. <laughs> so like thinking about that, being mindful, being tuned into what's happening at COP27 or mm-hmm. these other things, I think is a really powerful way to go. So those would be the, my, my advice. I love that so much. And for listeners who don't know, COP27 is the United Nations Climate Change Conference. Love that so much. And it can feel overwhelming when you do, like you're saying like step one, start paying attention, right? And it can feel feel overwhelming because I talk about all of these things all the time. We've talked about coffee and not even like paying farmers, but also moldy coffee and like healthy. So both like combining healthy and intentional and being like a purposeful, intentional consumer. So it can feel really overwhelming. And unfortunately, it's also 
always more expensive. I was going to say, maybe not always. No, it's always more expensive to make the better choice. I like to encourage people to both replace things one at a time. So your Mm -hmm. coffee runs out this month. Maybe that can be your one thing this month that you do your research on coffee and you decide the best coffee for you. That's both mold-free and fair trade. And so one at a time as you run out of things. And then also too, I think that it's helpful to combine a lifestyle of minimalism with a lifestyle of intentional living because that's the way to make it affordable instead of just thinking like, I'm going to go shopping today and I'm going to buy a million different things. Maybe you save up for one dress and it's organic cotton and it's fair trade and it might be really expensive, but you didn't buy 20 other things, right? So it, it helps make it more affordable for people to do it that way. Okay, cool. So I want to ask you some questions that we ask everybody who comes on the pod. So at the end of your life, when you are looking back, what will a successful life look like to you? Mm, I think for the people who have been in my life, for them to know that I love them. I mean, first off, that to be a good source of positivity and love in the people's lives, but also like, I don't have delusions of grandeur. Like, I don't think I'm going to personally change trade or any other social justice issue, but I, I think being part of the passing of the baton and uh, like, we're all chipping away at these thousands, sometimes like sometimes they're thousands of years old, (laughs) these these social justice problems. Totally. Um, So being part of that, I think continuing this, this process, this arc of, or arc towards goodness, I think that would be a good life for me. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah. As like 2020 post George Floyd, all of that was happening. I just remember thinking like, I think of like my parents and how did they handle these issues and just thinking Mm -hmm. as I was choosing, how do I donate? How do I react? How do I respond? How do I talk about it on the podcast? Who do I invite on the podcast? All of those things. And I just thought about my kids. Are they going to say, mom, what did you do in 2020 and beyond? And how were you involved? And how did you use your voice and your influence and platform and all of that? So I do think, yeah, I definitely have delusions of grandeur (laughs) a lot of the time. (laughs) But I think what you're saying is so good. Just like we are just the small, tiny peg in in the wheel of progress and change. And so even that is enough. Like I did what I could. I love that. So what is something in your life you feel like you've been really intentional about recently? I've been really intentional about like the time between lately. I, it's partially because we're, you know, commuting again, but like really savoring my bike rides and mm-hmm. enjoying the train ride and not being anxious about where I have to go or what I need to be doing, but just like being present in that moment. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's so good. And I feel like life is mostly in between, right? (laughs) So that's, (laughs) that is a great way. That's a great way to think of that. And then what's something you'd like to be more intentional about in the future? I think carving out like moments and milestones and traditions more. Mm. Um, It feels like the past couple of years have been like a blur of the same. (laughs) So like intentionally setting like a quarterly vacation of some kind, even if it's small Um, or making sure I go on date night (laughs) with my partner or or things like that. Just making those moments of like joy that are baked in, in addition to like noticing the good things that are happening all the time, but like those pops 
as well. Yeah, love that so much. Okay, great. Well, where can people connect with Fairtrade, find out more info, find out what products they can buy that are Fairtrade certified? Totally. You can find us online at fairtradeamerica.org. And our handle on Instagram and Facebook is fairtrademarkus. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you. Kate, thank you so much for being on the show today. Listeners, I hope that you learned about shopping fair trade, what that means, how it impacts farmers, and how it's so much better than the current farming conditions out there. It's so important to prioritize shopping fair trade. And if you want to start making that a priority in your life, please head to fairtradeamerica.org and you can shop fair trade and see all of the fair trade America certified products. Products there. Additionally, you can find products in your local market and grocery store by finding that Fairtrade America logo, which is the person with their hand up and it's green and blue. So thank you so much for prioritizing shopping for trade, making a difference in farmers' lives. And also thank you for listening to this show. I will see you next week.